song proclaims the truth. The reason we come here, the reason we celebrate, our Savior lives.
this time of desperation and all we know is doubt and fear there is only one foundation we believe we believe
With authority you've spoken and you set the captive free. You're the king of kings who serve and you're the God who washed our feet. You're the one who took our burdens and you bled upon the cross. In your kindness and your mercy, you became the way for us.
churches, uh, three in Kenya and two in Tanzania, working with Lowe. And Marilyn's just a dear, dear lady, servant of the Lord, took care of these working witness teams, and she's having open-heart surgery, and uh, she has no blood flowing to the back of her heart. And it's a very serious surgery because of that. And they have already told the family that there's about a 25% risk chance that she won't make it. Uh, through the surgery, but at the same time, the, the surgery has to be done. So she's kind of between a rock and a hard place. Lowe's been praying for healing. We've been praying with him and earnestly praying every day that God would undertake and minister to that situation. Would you remember Marilyn Clark this morning as we pray? And then Judy, Pastor Judy, we want to remember her today also as we pray together. Let's bow our heads. Father, we're thankful for Pastor Judy. She means so much, Lord, to this church. She's been there, Lord, during uh, difficult times and times of bringing uh, a constant stableness, Lord, in the life of the church, and we're so thankful for her. We grieve this morning, Lord, at the physical issues that she's having with her back, but thankful, Lord, for the surgeons who have done a work, Lord, upon her, and we just pray now that you would just add your miracle healing touch to all that the physicians have done, Lord, to minister to her need. We pray for a speedy recovery, and we pray that even this day, Lord, though this can be a very painful procedure, Lord, that you're relieving her from that and helping her, Lord, on her road to recovery, that she might continue to be a blessing to God's people and to her family, Lord, we pray. Bless her this morning, Lord. We pray for Marilyn Clark today, Lord. We, we can only put her in your hands, and we've been doing that, Lord. We know you've heard our prayers. I pray, Father, for Lowell as he looks after his loved ones, this man who loves you more than anything, has given his life to you, Lord, testifies to you, witnesses to you, believes in your miracles. And Lord, tomorrow she goes under the, the knife of the surgeon, Father. I pray that you would become the surgeon's hands. And you would become the surgeon's mind. And you would just take over that entire operating room, Lord. That your will and purpose would be accomplished, Lord, concerning Marilyn, Father. And if it be with all within your will, Lord, that you would just extend her life through the miracle of surgeries, Lord, that we have today. And then, Father, if it be your will, Lord, I just pray that even between now and then, as we continue to pray, that you would just heal her, Jesus, and spare her, Lord, from this difficulty, difficult process that she's going to be going through. We pray for the prayer list of this church, Lord. I know that these are people that are either in nursing homes or suffering illness at home or going through difficulties. I pray for them, Father, and pray that you would minister to each of their needs. And I also pray, Lord, today that the one who came in this service this morning just needing to hear from your word, just needing to hear a word from the Lord, 
I pray, Father, that you would minister to their hearts today. And I pray for that <clears throat> unspoken request, Lord, in this congregation. Something that was brought in here today that nobody else knows anything about. But the burden is being carried and, and they need that load lifted today. I pray for them, Father, that you would bring to them a special touch of your love and your grace and your touch, Lord, upon their lives this day. Guide us in the word today, Lord. We pray that you would bring blessings through the, the, the teaching of your scripture, Lord, that we might as a congregation open our eyes and sense the will of the Lord, Father, as we wait upon you. And all these things, Lord, we pray carefully and sincerely in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to have the ushers come and uh, receive the offering today. So grateful, Lord, for your gifts. I know that uh, we live in a different day than when I pastored, and so in the bulletin there's all kinds of ways that you can give now besides just the offering plate. And uh, so we'll go through the process of giving now. God bless you as you give. <clears throat> Thank you for your prayers this week. Uh, as we come prepared to preach this morning, why don't you know that we left here last Sunday and uh, drove uh, to the middle of Arkansas and then the next day drove on into Louisville, Kentucky uh, for the viewing that night and uh, then the funeral service on uh, Tuesday. Left the funeral service, uh, made a brief stop at the home of, of the loved one that meant so much to us. And uh, Jan had a really difficult time with that and then came on back, took a couple of days to come back, made it back to Arkansas and Blytheville, Arkansas. According to my daughter, one of the most dangerous cities in the United States, Blytheville, Arkansas. And, but I've stayed there a lot, stayed there, and then came on in home. And uh, then Friday night, uh, because I've, I'm a sucker for needs, uh, I did a wedding practice and yesterday I had the privilege of uniting a, a little lady that uh, attended my church at Temple and uh, all the 14 years that I was pastor there and you make promises that you later regret and uh, one of those promises that I made to so many girls was that I would do their wedding and I think that's the last one so if you're planning to get married you need to call brother Roger uh, because I'm out of the business, uh, and I'm very serious about that. I will, I will marry my grandsons. I think they're the only ones that have a chance before I die, uh, if, if uh, that so arises. I want to talk to you a little bit before I go to the pulpit this morning, and I think it's important for me to say this. I've really been giving this a lot of thought. Uh, and as a congregation, maybe some of you really need to hear this. Uh, you know we're in a waiting period. Are you aware of that? Now, we don't know what a waiting period is, so you need to know that. That doesn't mean that your church board, 
under the direction of the district superintendent it decided that we're going to go a year we're not going to interview anybody we're just going to have a time of healing that's not what's going on here it's not that kind of a wait in fact the truth of the matter is if the right uh, puzzle parts fell into place you might be interviewing somebody in the next couple weeks or it might be six months or it might be three months or a month we're not dealing with timetable we're just dealing with wait, waiting. And the reason for that is because your church board feels like, and maybe you feel like, that it's very, 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 very important that we get the right individual as pastor. Amen? That we really are at a stage as a church right now that it's very important that we just don't bring somebody in that can preach. Uh, or that calls themselves a pastor, or that just always wanted to pastor Waco First Church or Waco Community Church now. And there are those. In fact, I know two or three guys that came up through my ministry that would just give their right hand to pastor this church. Uh, and uh, I don't know that they would be capable of doing that or not because I'm not the Lord. But what I'm saying to you this morning is that the district superintendent has, when he called me to come here and uh, be your interim pastor, he told me, the thing that he told me was that the church was going into an unknown, and with the emphasis on the word unknown, waiting period. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you about how to wait. Is that fair? Because we get really confused about what it means to wait. See, I'm afraid that so many people believe that when we talk about the subject of wait, now we're talking about shutting things down, just relaxing. In fact, I'll just resign my Sunday school position and we'll just wait and see if the next guy wants me to do it. And we have a tendency to believe that waiting is a process that involves prayer, and it does involve prayer, amen? It involves sincere prayer, almost to the point of drops of blood type of prayer if you're going to find the Lord's will in this waiting process. So prayer will be the given this morning when we talk about wait. But what does it really mean to wait? What does the Bible mean when it talks about waiting uh, it's an interesting subject. So I want you, if you have your Bible this morning, to stand. Or even if you don't have your Bible this morning, I want you to stand. <laughs> or even if you were thinking about bringing your Bible this morning, we want you to stand. And I'm going to be in chapter 15, and an interesting, uh, well-known passage of Scripture beginning with verse 21. The book of Matthew. Matthew 15, 21. It's been a long week. If I just quit and walk off, it's because I'm just exhausted. Matthew 15 and verse 21. Tremendous, tremendous scripture that is dealing with one topic and one topic only. You think it's dealing with healing. It's not. It's dealing with the subject of waiting. And listen to what it says. Jesus went away from there and withdrew. And I'm reading, by the way, from the New American Standard Bible, the real Bible. 
You can have any Bible you want, but I've got the real one right here, the NASV. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to, now listen to what it says, cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and employed him, saying, Send her away. Now listen to why they wanted to send her away. Because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, Jesus says, I didn't come to deal with this woman. I came to deal with only the Israelites. That's, that's the reason I'm here. I have nothing to do with her. But she came and began to bow down before him. She's taking it a step further, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, at that point, you would have gotten offended and left. But she stayed with it. She said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. If you read the King James Bible, it says this. Jesus says, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. Never have I seen faith like this. And he said, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Father, we ask, Lord, now that you would uh, guide us uh, today as we share these brief moments uh, with these good people. Uh, give us wisdom and direction, Lord. We just want to talk to them about this important subject. We want to know, Lord, what you're asking us to do. And I believe, Lord, the word is very, very clear on what the process is in the subject of waiting. And so, Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would now take all of my preparation and pour it out, Lord, upon these people according to your word and your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> The message uh, today is what it means to wait, or specifically what it means to wait upon the Lord. How do we wait upon the Lord? Not just saying, well, I'm going to just get down, I'm going down to the altar, and I'm just going to wait upon the Lord. Is that all there is to it? Is it a process, a motion thing, in which I'm going to pick myself up physically, place myself at the altar of prayer, and there I'm going to say I'm in the process of waiting on the Lord. Or is it something that, that involves something beyond just the process of what we in our mind think of on a secular way of waiting, waiting for something like you would wait for a bus or wait for a train or go to the airport and wait for the time when you board the airplane and wait for the time that it takes to fly to the place 
And the worst thing is waiting for the time when you can finally get off of that airplane uh, there at your destination. Isaiah said, I will wait upon the Lord. Psalms 27, 14 and 37, 34 and Proverbs 20, 22 all say, wait for the Lord. Jeremiah said, we will wait upon you. Hosea said, keep mercy, wait on the Lord. Micah 7, 7, I will wait for you, God. And David said, again, I say, wait for the Lord. Years ago, and I thank God for this because of the assignment that has been given to me here, I was just uh, a beginner in the ministry when I came across this amazing term in the Bible, wait upon the Lord. And I want to tell you how it happened. Uh, it has to do with the Baptist. It has to do with a man by the name of Dr. Jack Hiles. Dr. Jack Hiles uh, pastored a church in Hammond, Indiana. I, at that time, was living in uh, Crown Point, Indiana, not far from Hammond, Indiana. And Dr. Jack Hiles, back in the days, way before we had these large megachurches around the nation today, had a church there in Hammond, Indiana, right over the border from Chicago, Illinois, that was running 10,000 in attendance. And this, this was during the 1970s, so you see how, how long ago that was and what an amazing pastor this was. And I remember attending his pastor school, and he was given an illustration, and he said this. He talked about, now you're going to get this, Nazarenes, this is great. He talked about the time when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said that it was the key to everything that happened in Hammond, Indiana, and the throngs of people that would turn out to hear him speak. He said it all happened the day that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said that it happened in the state of Texas. In Texas. His dad was buried in East Texas. He called it a pine thicket in East Texas. And he said he had gone home. Nothing was happening much in his church, and he had gone home and was out in the pine thickets of East Texas near his father's grave. And he said there at his father's grave, he felt led to wait there until God did something for him that he knew was missing in his life. And he told about how that he waited at, that, at, that, at the site of that, uh, that uh, place of rest of his dad, and he waited and waited and waited and, and begged God and pleaded that he would do something for him spiritually. And he said it was there by that graveside that God filled him with the Holy Spirit, and his entire ministry was molded that day waiting upon the Lord to do something great for him. That's where we need to be as a church today. We need to be taking this thing so seriously that we're crying out and pleading to God for him to do something amazing. I remember as a young preacher getting out the Cruden's Concordance. Anybody have a copy of the Cruden's Concordance? A tremendous book, you ought to have that. I know we can Google it today. But the Cruden Concordance, and I remember looking up the word wait, and I began to see what exactly does it mean? What was Dr. Jack Hiles talking about 
when he talked about waiting on the Lord. And I saw these uh, passages of scriptures, I will wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord. He should wait upon the Lord, waiting upon God. And I was very impressed, and I began to ask myself, what exactly is this process of waiting upon the Lord? It has to be more than a motion. You know, if it was just a motion, uh, Dr. Jack Kyles would have just walked to the gravesite and fell on his knees there and said, okay, Lord, I'm waiting, and boom, he'd have been filled with the Spirit, amen? So it has to be more than that. It has to be more than an act or a motion, but it has to be something deeper than that. I uh, read the story one time about Savonarola, a very famous preacher in the early days of the church in America, and he, he told the story in this, in this biography how that <clears throat> he got in the pulpit one day so discouraged about his ministry that he just sat there instead of getting up to preach. Now get this, I know you'll want to do this today. He just sat there for, and the, and the book says, for five hours before he got up to preach. How many of you would still be here after two hours? <laughs> five hours before he got up to preach. But he said when Savannah Roland got up to preach, he said you couldn't even tell that it was the same man because he was so anointed by God by waiting there to do, instead of just bringing a message, just waiting there until God did something to his heart and to his life so that he had something to share. And I remember reading about George Fox who for 15 days didn't eat, didn't sleep, didn't drink and went into a room and closed himself in that room waiting on God to do something for him in his life. And they say that when George Fox came out of that room, it was the start of the Quaker movement in our nation. And they said that you couldn't even tell that it was the same man when he came out of that room. God had so changed him in the process of that. Of course, biblically, uh, when we think about uh, waiting, I always think about Moses. Think about Moses and this waiting process. Think about it. Forty years. Forty years wandering around out in the wilderness with God's people. Forty years waiting for the promised land. Forty years waiting for the fulfillment. Moses traveling with God's uh, people. And then there's the Apostle Paul. You know, we talk about, I talked about the Apostle Paul last Sunday. And we're, we've all been affected by the ministry and the writing of Paul. But did you know this is a little-known fact that Paul... Before he ever started his ministry, when he was struck by the light, and then he was taken to the town, and then uh, they, they laid hands on him, he got his sight back. A little, very few people know that for three years, he went out into the desert of Arabia. In fact, I've got a message on this. He went out to the, to the desert of Arabia, waiting on God to anoint him to his ministry before he ever started his very first campaign, his very first mission trip, his very first letter uh, that he wrote. Every day, everybody nowadays wants to go real fast. And uh, my wife and I have discovered Google. And when we're watching television, we get all kinds of questions, and Jan says, here, I'll Google it. 
Google it. Do I say that right? Google it. Google. Sounds like something else. But anyway, it's Google. And, uh, so, and that's the world we live in today, don't we? Everything's fast. I want my coffee fast. I want to drive through and get my food. In fact, now we're getting to a place where I don't even want to go out and get my food. I want it delivered. I'm going to order it, and when it's time to eat, it's going to be at my door. Everything has to be fast. When I was talking about being in Africa, I, uh, I remember Pastor Samuel uh, Karayuki. He was a minister there in, in uh, Kenya, <clears throat> and I saw him nearly every trip that I took to Kenya. And so one year during the General Assembly, he had come over as a delegate, and then uh, I invited him to, to uh, spend some time with us, little knowing that I, I'd spent a long time trying to get him back to Africa because <laughs> he loved America so much. So he wound up spending a month with us. And I'll never forget when I asked him uh, one time about America and what he thought about America, uh, he said this. He said, you Americans, he said, you do everything fast. You do everything fast. He said, you Americans, he said, you don't even know what the word wait and slow down means. You, you, everything is fast here, and that's what I see happening to your country. Well, I can tell you this morning that every successful minister has learned how to wait on the Lord. You have to learn how to wait on the Lord if you're going to be successful. So somebody came to me one time and said, Pastor, you talk about waiting on the Lord and waiting on the Lord. What exactly does it mean biblically to wait upon the Lord? So if we are in a waiting process right now as a church, what does that mean for us? Now we know what wait means, right? You know, you know what wait means? You, 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 you wait in line. Have you ever been to Walmart? If you've been to Walmart, you know what wait means. And uh, so we all know what it waits. But what does it mean biblically to wait upon the Lord? It means four things that I want you to see this morning, just very quickly this morning. Four things. And I'm going to spend more time on the first point because I think it's the key to the whole thing that I will on the last three points. But I want to talk to you about the first one. Did you know that if we are going to be in the process of waiting on the Lord, biblically, that means that we are to wait as a beggar. And the Bible's very clear on it. We are to wait as a beggar. Could I even begin to share with you this morning, if I had the time, the many, many, many illustrations that you find Jesus himself giving to us in the word in which he is teaching us that if we are going to get things from God, we are going to have to wait in the process of being a beggar. A beggar. For instance, I think the last time that I was here, I shared with you one of my uh, very, very uh, favorite uh, illustrations in the Bible, which, which has to do with the lady who was done wrong by the man. And she goes to judge, and she said, Judge, will you avenge me and my adversary? 
And the judge says, I don't have time to mess with your adversary. My docket's full. And so he goes on with his business. He gets out in the hallway of the court. This is, by the way, in the Greek. You don't find this in the King James or the NASB. And so he goes out into the hallway, and there she is. She said, Judge, <clears throat> would you avenge me in mine adversary? A man has done me wrong. Lady, the day is over. I've got to go home. And he goes out, he gets on the bus, he decides to stop at McDonald's Steens for a hamburger. And he gets out there, and McDonald's, there she is. Judge, you've got to avenge me in mine adversary. A man has done me wrong. Lady, I don't have time. Later that night, he's out walking uh, Fido Steen, his dog. And he's out there walking. This lady comes out from the bush and he says, Judge, avenge me of mine adversary. A man has done me wrong. And the judge finally says, Where is your adversary? I'll kill him myself. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that she got what she wanted because of her much asking. And then Jesus tells the story about the man who had a guest come at night and he didn't have any bread. You ever been that way? My, my family's coming in this coming week from Anderson, Indiana. They're going to be here next Sunday with us. And uh, my four grandgirls, please treat them right. I don't want to have to hurt you. And they're, they're, they're going to be coming here. And, the, and, the, and so Jesus tells a story about this guy who was at home, and he had a visitor come, and, and he had no bread. And so he goes over his neighbor. You've read it. Knocks on the door. Hey, neighbor, I've had a friend come in, and I need some bread. Go away. My family's sleeping. In fact, in those days, everybody slept in the same room, so it was very disturbing, you know. <coughs> and so he walks away, and he says, oh, man. Oh, man, my friend's coming. I don't have any bread. So he turns around. He goes back. And he, hey, friend, friend, listen. My friend is coming. I don't have any bread. Can you give me some bread? Go away. I'm telling you, I'll give you some bread in the morning. And he walks away. He said, man, my friend's been, been traveling now for several days, and he's here, and he's hungry. And I've got it. And he goes back, and he knocks again. And the guy finally says, Good night. If you'll just leave us alone, I'll send you to a whole bakery. He just asked and asked and asked, and Jesus is giving us that tremendous illustration. Or how about this one that we talked about today? What a tremendous story. Here comes a lady, and she's got a daughter, and this, and this daughter is possessed of the devil. Now, you know Jesus is not... She, he's not for anybody being possessed of the devil. But he has a mission, and the mission is to come for the Israelites. And he sees his mission as that. And she comes and she says, uh, she says, Jesus, my daughter, my daughter's possessed of the devil. I, would you heal her? Would you come and heal her? And the disciples get angry and said, Lady, please, would you leave our Savior alone? He's busy, he's on a mission. But she just keeps asking, and she comes back again and asks. And now I think it reaches a stage in which Jesus, I really believe this. You know, the story kind of sees like, like Jesus is saying, well, you're just a Canaanite. Why are you bothering me? I'm here for my Jews. You're just a Canaanite. I don't think that's the way it was at all. 
I think Jesus was testing this woman to see just how serious she was. And so he says, look, I came for the Israelites. You're a Canaanite. I didn't come to help you. I came to help them. I can't help you. And then he says, in fact, he, uh, then she says, he says, you know, you're just a dog. <laughs> In my eyes, you're just a dog. You know, you're someone who would be under the table and, and, and looking for the scraps of the dog. And she says, well, Jesus, even the dog under the table has a right to eat the scraps. Just begging. And he finally says to her, he, he says to his disciples, he says, guys, listen. I've not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. This woman is amazing. She's begging and begging, and, and so your daughter is going to be healed. Now, I know what you're saying this morning because it has been, it has been uh, said to me uh, over and over again. You're probably thinking, uh, well, preacher, what about these radio preachers? What about these television preachers who tell us, and we do find it in the Word, where it says, well, ask and you shall receive. Just ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened onto you. Don't you know that we've got a Heavenly Father that is just waiting to give to you? Well, did you know that in the Bible that's in the linear? And did you know if you read it according to the way it was written, what it is saying there, now hear me this, hear this, it is saying that you ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and you seek and you seek and you seek and you seek and you knock and you knock and you knock and you knock until the Lord hears your prayer. You see, my life is like most people think it is. When I was in the pastorate, uh, I had to stop taking care of beggars. I just had to, because you know what? Everybody that came to me got something. That's not always good, you know. I had to find someone with discernment, so when my wife became my secretary in Temple, Texas, I said, I'm not going to talk to anybody that has need anymore that comes to our door. I said, you're going to take care of it because my wife has wisdom and she has discernment. And she did such a beautiful job of taking care of what I would have just given money for. <laughs> you know, okay, all right, you need money if I got some. And Jen had a whole system put together, not only with our church but with other churches to kind of spot these individuals who were just begging for begging's sake. Do you know what the Lord says in one of the most important passages in the Bible that you, you need to be aware of? And I, I have a sermon that I preach on this too. It's in John chapter 7, verses 37 38. Let me just read this to you. This is an Old Testament principle that Jesus brings to the New Testament. And he says this. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast... Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers 
of living water. Do you know how you get things from God? Do you know what he's telling us there, the way that you get things from God? Is you get thirsty. You ever been thirsty? Lord, I'm thirsty for your will for our pastor. Lord, I'm thirsty for your will for this church. You know, I don't know a whole lot, and I, I, I'm not the best pastor in the world, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. I know what it is to get thirsty, and I know how to get thirsty. Amen? And if we get thirsty, if we really want it, if we come to the Lord as a beggar, he will answer our prayers. Well, there's a second thing that you also need to know, and that is this. It means to wait is like a, a servant the Bible teaches that it's like a servant who waits to serve. See, that's where we mess up. Now, this is very subtle, but it's very important. You see, if I'm going to come to this altar and I'm going to say to God, Lord, I'm waiting on you to do something for my church. I mean, I'm waiting on you to do something. In fact, what I want, Lord is I want you to send that person who's going to make our church different. He's the man, or he's the woman. He's the answer. She's the answer. Well, our church is going to change, God, if you'll just send that individual. And Jesus says, that's not waiting. That's just selfishness. That's just looking for someone to come in and do what you can do. Now listen to me. I'm not being hard on you this morning, but this is important. God's not going to send somebody here to do what he's already qualified you to do. God's not going to send somebody here that's, that is gifted to do what he has already gifted you to do. You see, the person that we are waiting on, the person that we are serving as, we are, as we're there as a beggar, we have to be open to the fact that when God answers prayer, that means that we're not going to just lay back and say, well, he finally sent the person and now we're going forward. No, if God sends the person, you know what that means? It means the team is coming together. And we're going to go out to win. That would be kind of like us saying, boy, I hate to use this name. Hate this name. That we have Nick Saban. And uh, boy, if we could just get Nick Saban. Look what he did at Alabama. You know, we're, we, we want to win at football, so we're just going to get Nick Saban. So we hire Nick Saban. Nick Saban comes and the team just sits down and say, okay, Nick Saban, win these games for us. <laughs> no, you know what Nick Saban's going to tell you? I'm here to help you to do what needs to be done for the kingdom of God. You see, waiting on the Lord, you have to wait with an attitude that when he answers and when he sent. Did you know... Did you know, I believe with all of my heart, that God is not going to send you somebody who you believe is going to do what he's gifted you to do? He's not going to do that. Why would he send? 
why would he send somebody like that to you? Nothing's going to change except what he can do. So we have to, if we're going to wait upon the Lord, we have to wait with an attitude of servitude. You remember what Jesus said? What a classic example. Jesus said as he was approaching the cross, he said, Lord, if it be possible, take this cup from me. And then he said the key thing for all of us, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever you ask me to do in the process of this, I'm willing to do. Well, there's a third thing. The third thing that means to wait upon God, it means to come as a pupil. It means to come as a pupil. See, back in the Bible days, they had what was called the groves of academia. They didn't have Baylor University. They didn't have Indiana State, the greatest uh, institution in America. They didn't have that one. No, they had what was called groves of academia, and what they would do is they would send teachers out. What they, these, these people would come, and they would meet at these groves, and they would send a teacher out, and they would wait there at the grove for the teacher to come, and then the teacher would teach them the things that they needed to know in order to, in order to grow. So if we're going to wait on the Lord, as it says in the Bible, I need to wait for the wisdom. I need to be in the Word. I need to be... What it means is, if I'm going to wait on the Lord, it's not a process of just waiting and doing nothing, but I wait there as a learner. I get the Bible involved. I get the teaching involved. I'm, I'm asking the Holy Spirit what it's trying to say to us. I'm trying to be a person who is waiting, but at the same time, I'm growing. And I'm open to what is going to happen in the life of the church. In fact, wouldn't it be something? Wouldn't it be something? And this is where the devil defeats us. Wouldn't it be something if we grew waiting on someone to come? Wow, what a concept. Wouldn't it be something if we grew waiting for someone to come so that they would just be part of the process of what we are already doing because we're waiting in a spirit of learning and studying and, and seeking God's will. And what is God saying to us today? What's he saying through his word? What's he saying through his spirit? What's he doing in the life of the church this morning? That's the process of biblical waiting. You know, when I asked God for three things when, I, when he called me into the ministry, and I think they were good things, and they pray, played great dividends throughout my ministry. I asked him for power. Back to Jack Hiles, I said, Lord, would you anoint me with that kind of power? Would you pour your Holy Spirit out on me the way you did for that man of God? It doesn't have anything to do with running 10,000. It just has to do with, Lord, I can't do it without your power. And then I asked him, and I, in a way, for love. I wanted to love the people that I pastored. I just, you know, we just went to a funeral in Louisville, Kentucky, one of the most unusual pastors 
that I've ever met. And uh, he was elected DS of Kentucky twice and turned it down. Can you imagine? <laughs> you know why he turned it down? Because he just loves people. And district superintendents can't love people. <laughs> no, you can't love people like a pastor can. Amen? It's just a pastor's heart. I was with J.K. Wark, uh, one of our retired district super general superintendents. He and I go back a long way. I remember he told me one time, sitting in a service, this is how close we are, he said, Bosell, he said, you're the most cynical person I've ever met in my life. He loved me. <laughs> and uh, so I was with him a couple weeks ago. He was holding a revival down here at uh, Copper's Cove. And I took him out to Cooper's Barbecue and just had a great time. And then he said, Bosell, he said, I'm going to tell you something I've told nobody else. And if you let it out, he said, I'll have you defrocked. And I said, my goodness, what is it? He said, I'm going back in the pastorate. I said, what? He's in his 70s. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, you know, that's my call. He said, I just love people. I love pastoring people. I love people. And so I asked God for that. And then the third thing that I asked him for was wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Wherever I am, whatever the assignment is, Lord, give me, give me wisdom. Well, there's one last thing that you need to do uh, to wait upon the Lord. It means to wait like a beggar. It means to wait like a servant where you're willing to jump in with what he's saying. It means to wait like a student that you're learning as you go along. And the last thing it is, you need to wait like a messenger like a messenger. You need to wait like a messenger. In other words, what it's saying is, I don't care who's going to come as a pastor. I don't care who it is. I don't, I don't know the name. I don't know the gender. I don't know anything about it, but I want you to know when it happens, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm not going to say, well, he doesn't look like I thought he'd look. Well, have you seen his family? Have you seen the way his wife dresses? Am I hitting you yet? You know, just anything, just any excuse to turn your attention away from what God. You know what? When we wait upon the Lord, we're looking for his will to be done. And the only way he's going to speak to us is if we're willing to go when it happens. Because that's what it's all about. The book of Revelation is an interesting book. I love it. When I was in Africa, they asked me to preach when, for the dedication of a church that we had built. We had built it, and then two years later, we went back, and they said, would you preach the, the dedication sermon? And I thought, you know, what do you preach to Africans, you know? I mean, seriously, if that was your assignment, what would you preach on? I mean, because you're going to use a, a translator, so what? What do you do? So God led me to the book of Revelation. The summary of all of the Bible is in the book of Revelation. 
man, especially exploding thunder, Fort Hood. And in the book of Revelation, where it is the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, Revelation starts out and it says, this is where these churches messed up. Is that right? First couple chapters. I want to talk to you about how we've messed up. And then it says, now I'm going to spend... of Jesus, everything that transpires, he closes with these words, and this is what he says.
Jesus. 